What's good, y'all? Welcome this week's episode of Talks with Taboo. Welcome this week's episode of the podcast. Hope you're having a great week. Uh, before I introduce this guest, I gotta say October the 16th, I have an EP coming out on Wakan. It's called Something for Your Mind. Four tracks, four solo tracks, and they're all fucking really good. I'm very, very proud of those tracks. Go check it out when it comes out. Uh, my guest today is a fellow podcaster. Uh, he's also just an absolute animal in the studio. One of those guys who, you know, is a legend in the studio, just well round, respected all around by almost every producer and DJ. And he's just a guy who's worked with just about everybody in the scene. He's met everybody at some point. And I'm really glad to have him on the podcast. He runs his podcast called the Mr. Bill Podcast. Uh, so y'all go check that out. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bill. And we are live, brother. Cool. Where are we live on Twitch or something? Or? Just between me and you, bro. It's just it's just me and you right now. It's our little secret for like two days, and then cool. everybody's secret. <laughs> you Sweet. look good, bro. You look like you've lost a lot of weight. Yeah, I did. Uh, I um, yeah, I've gone through this in my podcast a bit. <clears throat> I started taking an antidepressant that is like known for also having the effect of losing weight. I guess. Uh, and among other things, but yeah, I lost yeah some weight for sure. Hell yeah, man! I mean, you look good, dude. Is that that's in, you're in your new place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah! Yeah, I think San- last time we talked, I was in in a different place, but uh, I'm still in San Francisco though. Dude, so what made you want to go from Denver to San Fran? Uh, I was I moved here for a relationship, but uh, I, I really enjoy being here now. I think it's um, yeah, I think it's really cool city it's funny because when i first moved here i was talking to a bunch of people who lived here about this city and they're all like oh trust me like when you move here you'll realize it's the sickest city on the planet basically and i was like yeah whatever i've been to like hundreds of cities like they're all pretty cool it's fine but it really is a special city it's really fucking cool what what, what do you like so much about it? is there a certain <clears> thing one thing i really like about it is how close everything is together it's like uh you know in denver or la or something like that you need a car to get around for sure um here it's like you don't need a car you can probably like just bike or walk everywhere and in that sense it makes it kind of just feel like a big festival or like a uh it makes it feel kind of like a you know just like everyone is neighbors sort of it's i, I like that vibe about it whereas in denver it's kind of like i would notice even if i lived like 10 minutes from someone i'd like still wouldn't go to their house because the city just felt so big and yeah. I'd be like, oh, I have to like go across town and shit and you know, fuck that. Whereas here it's like, I don't know, walking around is super fun. There's a lot to look at and stuff. The art here is cool. Golden Gate Park is really beautiful. Um, the food scene here is nuts. It's super good. Um, <clears throat> but then again, I mean, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that all of these are probably like similar qualities to where you are as well, which is New Orleans, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's still like a lot of outdoor activities that you can go do, like a lot of like fishing in the woods, you know, not too far away. But mm. yeah, I mean, whenever you're in the city, you definitely don't need a car. <clears throat> Everything's That's pretty awesome. damn close, yeah. Yeah, it's basically just Bourbon Street and what's the other one? Fre- Frederick or Frankston or some shit? 
uh, fr uh french frenchman french frenchman yeah. this one yeah frenchman frenchman's um, fr yeah. or frenchman's is something people <laughs> like to say yeah so does everyone kind of just live around like those two streets no i mean you know but i feel like everything kind of revolves around them you know what i mean like <clears throat> everything kind of revolves around the quarter uh you know like canal bourbons like everything just goes or i feel like honestly i feel like the casino is just like everything revolves around that bitch and it just mm. you know spreads out and it, you know, like i said dude, whenever i'm downtown dude I, you know I'll, I'll uber downtown and everywhere i need to go i'm either walking or biking so it, that's really nice mm. yep yeah so it's kind of go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sim similar in san francisco but um i guess instead of stuff just revolving around like two streets and another thing it's like it, there's just like sectors kind of like you know there's a bunch of shit that revolves around golden gate park i feel like and then a bunch of shit that revolves around like the city and like the financial district and then a bunch of shit that uh sort of revolves around i guess like the piers like the embarcadero and all that sort of stuff and like where kind of where alcatraz is um <clears throat> and then the golden gate bridge is fucking awesome man like riding across that on a bike is super fun speaking of outdoor activities i've <laughs> recently gotten super into mountain biking hell yeah i was actually fun. gonna see if you've gotten into anything new since being there yeah yeah that is one thing i've been just getting into a lot lately have you do you do any anything like that yeah I, I bike i don't i don't do like no mountain biking i have like this <laughs> the bike i have is fucking horrible it's like from the 50s or 60s but i got it for free and like i feel like the tire like is loose on it and so you know it, <laughs> it's got like zero shocks on it so any bump i hit bro it feels my ass gets raw on it but it is a good thing i feel like you know if i do like five or six mile ride on the bike i feel like i've actually gotten a lot more because it's a really hard bike to ride so it makes you work <laughs> a little harder but i've been getting into that and it's been a lot of fun nice do you know um of a dj or a producer called matt the alien sounds really familiar yeah i've, I've heard that <clears throat> yeah yeah i wasn't he wasn't on my radar until yesterday but somebody posted a link in my facebook group um where he apparently just had a mountain biking accident and is now paralyzed from the chest down which sucks so if anyone's listening and wants to go donate to his GoFundMe, if, if they're a fan of him, then that's a thing they can do. Yeah, man, that's crazy. So that was, it was weird because like I <clears throat> just got into mountain biking and I was, I'm literally like watching tons of videos on YouTube about mountain biking and like looking at the forums and shit. And then somebody like posts this and I'm like, damn, it's like instant wake up call sort of thing. Dude, I had almost um, the same experience. I, uh, me and G-Rex were doing like this meet and greet giveaway whenever we released Joeller. And the guy who won it, he was, like, up in some snowy mountains. And I was like, man, do you ever snowboard? And I didn't find out that the guy was actually paralyzed from snowboarding. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Well. Damn. Yeah, very similar. Very Crazy. similar. Is there a lot of mountains by you, though? Or are you just, like, you know, hitting, like, some little hills? no this oh dude san francisco is like full of crazy big hills but that's um not where i ride there's uh if you go across the bridge there's a place called marin county uh, or marin whatever and then there's another place called sonoma and then you know down south there's santa cruz and stuff like that and there's mountains in all of those those places so within like anywhere from a 20 minute drive to a one and a half hour drive out of san francisco you can get to some pretty awesome mountains Hell yeah. So you said they were they were in, like, everything is kind of, like, in sections, right? So it's like, are there, like, these little gangs inside? Like, we the bridge boys, you know what I'm saying? Golden boys. And then you got, like, the park <laughs> boys. Young, young park apparatus, you know what I'm saying? That you don't want to fuck with. You, hey, you want my park after five, son? Back up. Is there any? Have you seen any of them? 
No, but I do feel like people who live in certain areas kind of think that their area is the best. Like, you know, everyone who lives down in, like, Soma and the Mission thinks that that's the coolest shit. And, like, anyone who lives sort of near Golden Gate Park thinks that that's the coolest shit and so on and so forth. That's pretty much anybody in Philly. <laughs> right, anybody yeah, in Philly, so... you're, you're on one side of Philly, they don't fuck with you, dog. Huh, yeah, weird. <laughs> I haven't spent a lot of time in Philly, but I wouldn't mind spending more time there for sure. I've heard a lot of good things, and I've got a lot of friends that live there. See, I respect uh, Philly... <laughs> Philly fans as far as their sports teams because like you know like e like the Philadelphia Eagles fans they're like the rudest fan base on the planet and they're just terrible but they know it and so they have honor like you know they have on they have honor integrity about it so I respect them like I know last time I was in Philly I was talking about how the Eagles fans are assholes and this guy was like hey and I was like bro don't act like you don't know it and he goes ah you right you right <laughs> <laughs> um which which sport is that for? a football but i mean they're probably their baseball i forget their baseball team i ain't the biggest baseball fan <clears throat> uh but Philly, you're, you're big on football giant dude giant mm, bro cool. i'll catch What's every your... game if i can that's actually one of the cool, good things about not torn right now is i've been able to watch every single game or any game i've wanted to watch what's your favorite team new orleans saints baby nice Hell i don't yeah. know i have to google them quickly and see what they look like <laughs> oh, they look like angels falling from the sky, dude, you know? New Orleans Saints, you Looks say. like they were crafted by Jesus himself. You know, oh, yeah, Drew, they whenever, this, like... whenever they were making the uh, the arm of a god, they, they, they put it on a man called Drew Brees. <laughs> Everybody listening to this podcast, he's not Saints fan, like, man, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> man, yeah, this guy, yeah, this team looks jacked. Oh, yeah. They look like Jack very manly men. Jacked up on the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> dude, so, do you feel like you're a little happier being out there in San Fran, dude? You know, a lot more sunshine, I, I'd I reckon. Honestly, it's less sunshine than Denver, but I kind of like that. I like the... So, San Francisco's weird, right? It doesn't really have seasons. Like, it doesn't... Um, I don't know if you, like, know this about Asia, but they kind of just have two seasons, right? It's, like, hot and not... Or hot and wet. I think, like, they have a hot season. It's pretty much here season. in New Orleans, almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much, I guess. So, San Francisco's kind of like that, but it's sort of weird. There's, like, microclimates here, so... Um, like, certain areas of the city will be sunny and other areas will be, like, foggy. Um, <clears throat> and other areas will be, like, raining and overcast. And it's... It's sort of weird because it's such a small city. It's like, um, I don't know exactly geographically how big, but like, I don't know, let's say like 20 kilometers across and 20 kilometers up and down or something. It's like not that big. But um, how big is a yeah, kilometer to a mile? Uh, 1.6 kilometers equals one mile. Rock and roll. All right, bet. Yeah. So I don't know, like 15 by something. I would have to look that up. But anyway, um, yeah, it's weird. It, like all year round, even in the summer or in the winter, just like any time at all, it's basically just like 70 degrees or like 60 degrees. It's kind of like in that range sort of all the time. That's where I want to be. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I want to be and, in that weather. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, if you just have like a hoodie, you're basically good all year round. Um, yeah, hoodie weather is my favorite because it's like you don't have to have a hoodie on. You know what I'm saying? You could if you wanted to. You don't have to have jeans on, but you can. I like exactly, that. Where you yeah. just, it's just up to you. That's kind of how San Francisco is. Yeah, it's like if you want to wear jeans, you can. You won't get super hot if you do, but like you're not going to get super cold if you don't. So yeah, it's pretty Hell cool. Yeah, dude. I like that about it. Um, sorry, go on. You know, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say um, to answer your question though, I think I am a lot happier here. Uh, I think I've, I've been, and this might have something to do with COVID, but I think I've been more active than I've ever been. And I think I've 
been like going outside more than I ever have and, you know, just doing a lot of stuff that feels, you know, feels healthy. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's been good. Feel like you've been taking a step back from music a little bit, just to enjoy life a little bit more. <clears throat> so a little bit, um, but also having said that, I've also been doing a lot of music. So I, at the start of quarantine, was just like hammering out whips like every day basically, or every other day, um, and I just kind of did that for like most of the quarantine up until like a, maybe a week or two ago, and I, I don't know, like I just was making content but with no real goal. And eventually I kind of just got to this point where I was like, I don't know, I feel like I'm just making shit and I'm not releasing any of it. I don't have a plan for like an album or an EP or anything like that. I'm just making tunes. Uh, so the last week I went through like all of my project file folders and put them all in a spreadsheet and like organized them all by tempo and key and like wrote notes about all of them and stuff like that. Yeah, I can show this to you. Um, I don't know if people will get this uh, when they watch the podcast but i can kind of show you what this sheet looks like they might do and, uh, it comes up on the screen if it, yeah if i well i'm gonna um screen share so you'll see it, it then yeah they'll see it they'll see it for okay. sure oh great perfect all right so can you see that yep yeah so this is a spreadsheet i made with all the whips holy shit those are all whips that you made just during covid not during COVID. This is like uh, over the last couple of years. But like, I mean, these ones, all these green ones here are pretty much all ones that I made during COVID. That's a lot of fucking so. songs, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, I, I was making a lot, but I wasn't like finishing anything and I wasn't like working towards any sort of releases or anything. So I did that and put that spreadsheet together. And then I sort of spent like the last few days um, organizing everything by genre. And now I just have like folders. I have like a huge folder of dubstep that I'm making, a huge folder of like down tempo IDM that I'm making, a huge folder of like drum and bass and so on and so forth. So now I kind of have like, feels like I have more goals. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to make a drum and bass release and then I'm going to make like a garage release and then I'm going to make like an IDM album and so on and so forth. So, <clears throat> um, so yeah, it feels like I've been taking a step back from music because I've just been doing that for the last few weeks and not particularly writing that much. Yeah, but um, at the same time, it like it was something I feel like I had to do to work more productively, and I feel like now I can work more productively. Hell yeah! Do you feel like you're actually more productive whenever you have a goal? Like you, like you know, you said like I'm not writing an album, just making tunes. Like I find it like I'm actually this is my first time I've ever been in a situation where I'm writing <laughs> for an album, and it's a little mm -hmm. different because I feel like when I'm trying to make something for something, I can't create anything. But is it complete opposite for you? Um, sort of. I feel like if I have a goal and like a deadline, I work better than mm. if I don't. Like if it's just open ended, I'll I'll just not do it. Right. It's kind of like that. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's like some phenomena or theory or something where it's like government projects. However much money they like a lot to do that project is how much money it will take to do it. Like for instance, if they allot like one million dollars to build a bridge, the bridge will cost a million dollars to make. But if they allotted one point two million dollars to the bridge, they would still use all one point two million dollars to make the bridge, right? Or if they allotted seven hundred thousand dollars, they would just spend all seven hundred thousand dollars on the bridge. So I kind of feel that way about music. It's like if I allot an infinite amount of time to it, I'll just use an infinite amount of time on that track. Yeah. And I just won't finish it. It's like whenever so I like a I buy like a twelve pack of beer, I was like, I have to drink this beer. 
Right. Yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> no, I uh, actually I have a deadline on my board behind me, so I started on a comedy album a few months back. I think like right whenever you and I started talking, and I'm trying to finish comedy it by album. the end of the year. So that's like the first time I've put myself like on a on a like a personal deadline. What's a comedy album? Like it's just spoken word. You telling? No, jokes no, no, no. And... It's like it's like very musical. It's like, it's like a little dicky, but like a lot of different genres in it. Like a lot of hip hop. I just did a country song for it. Uh, there's like an acoustic song. So like the, I'm finding it's like honestly the hardest and thing I've ever done musically, because it's like I'm having to create these genres and I'm having to make a song funny, but not also not funny, but like also very well produced. Like if mm. I'm gonna make a a country song, I want it to sound like an actual country <clears throat> song you might hear on the radio, right? So mm. it's like it, I'm having a lot of fun doing it because I've just been doing other things that I normally don't do. But then it's like also like it show it's shown me how far I've come in production to where I can make something like that and it sound really fucking good. So it's 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 yeah. been a blast, honestly. Yeah, you don't want to like do something ironically, but then also do it badly, right? Because then it's right. sort of like then it can be misconstrued as like you just didn't know what you're doing or didn't know how right. to do it, and therefore it kind of like loses some of the funniness. Whereas if it's like executed perfectly, then people can like i don't know maybe people will see it as like more self-aware or whatever right it's like have you have you heard that uh it's like a hopson track it's like no words and he's literally not saying words but it's over like this fire ass beat and he's just going but like people are still fucking with it because it's just it's very well done have you heard that one uh who's it by hopson hopson no i've never even heard of hopson oh he's dope bro he's like you know he's like that strange music like uh like a you know What's the music. song called? Uh, no words. I think I think no that's what words. it's called. Cool. I'll check it out after. Oh, it, yeah. No words two featuring Hash Brown. Okay. Now you need to hear the first one. <laughs> There's no words one. Oh yeah. Okay. No. Oh yeah. Hobson. No words skit. All right. Cool. Yeah. I'll check this out after the podcast. Hell yeah. You you'll have a good laugh at it. But it's just so well done that you can't deny that it's not a good song, even though it's just dumb as hell. Right, yeah, <laughs> nice. Did, so, how long you been do? How long you been producing for? Because you're a guy who I feel like has been in this scene for a very long time. Yeah, I've been in in the bass music scene really from the start. Because I mean, bass music started like after I started producing. So I guess uh, I've been. Well, it depends if you count bass music as dubstep, because that started before I started producing. But I started producing, I would say, full time in 2006 or 2007. Um, where Ableton was only on version four and I was like, uh, that's when it, yeah, about 2006, 2007. So I was about 18 or something like that. And that's when I was like, that's when I started using Ableton every day for like many hours a day. But before that I was using GarageBand and before that I was like messing around with other stuff like Fruity Loops and, <clears throat> um, just like random, like there was this thing that I could hire from my school, um, it was like this little four track boss multi-track recorder thing and they would let me bring it home all the time so i'd always bring it home and then just like record shit with a microphone it was just like a looper and i'd yeah. try and make tracks on that and then like uh basically record it to a cassette and then i'd be like sick i made a tune on a cassette it's like they were garbage tunes but it was like yeah i've always just kind of been interested in that sort of stuff and and before that i was i played guitar for like many hours a day and uh yeah, like I've I've probably put in thousands of hours on guitar collectively as well from just like playing through my teen years and I had uh, delay pedals and stuff and I would like do a lot of looping with those and, and stuff like that. So I've always been interested in uh, layering stuff together to make 
you know, finish sounding pieces of music out of it. But yeah, I would say like, <clears throat> seriously, I started producing in like 2007 or so. So yeah, not, not too long ago, like 13 years. It's pretty long is, time though. It's pretty long time. Yeah, it's a while for sure. And I would say like, um, I started touring pretty heavily in 2012. Like that was when I kind of was like on a yearly basis doing 30 to 50 shows or more. Damn. So how does one who's been in the scene that long touring that long how does one stay interested in it like stay in, in, like you know keeping yourself interested in stuff like that and just keeping yourself inspired yeah that's a great question um i i mean generally you just can't do the same thing right like you always have to if you i don't understand how people can do what seems to me like almost the same thing for like 10 to 20 years or something like that and yeah i think the the key is to just find new stuff and also never stop learning i feel like when you stop learning new techniques or when you stop learn like for instance there's so much i still don't know about production and sound design and you know music theory i my knowledge is crap on on that um, so it's like, there's always new shit to learn. And I always feel like as soon as I start learning a new thing, I instantly get inspired again. Cause I'm like, oh, cool. There's a new technique I could use to make a whole song just out of that technique. Mm. Um, so I'd say that's, that's a good way. And also just experimenting with genres a lot. Like don't just make dubstep for 20 years straight. Cause you'll burn out for sure. And you yeah. see that with most artists, right? It's like scream even, you know, the OG dubstep guy he makes disco now or like, um, you know you see bands like who will get big off their first album or whatever and then they'll just kind of switch it up and start messing around with different genres and stuff in their later albums and then all their fans will get pissed off at them but i mean it's necessary if you're gonna have a you know three to four if you're planning to have like a multi-decade career in music then yeah you need to keep it interesting for yourself <clears throat> and fans i think need to understand that yeah, fans can sometimes be a little uh, butthurt whenever you try to switch it up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they like will try and misconstrue it as like you're selling out or like that you're, I don't know. <laughs> some, I mean, look what happened with Getter, thing. man. That was a fucking prime example, like that you know, was watching it real time. Yeah. yeah, that was super bad uh, where he just tried to make what, like a hip hop album basically and then just got booed off stage every night. It's not like a hip hop album. It was kind of like, you know, it had hip hop influence. It was like a flumey, hip hoppy future bassy it was really good like it was really creative mm. and really original i feel like and i think the thing is the thing was is people would go to a getter show expecting like dubstep and shit but and then mm. it just you know get really pissed off and go on twitter <clears throat> yeah then again though i think if you like foster a fan base in the way that he did by just like you know releasing on Alzla, doing stuff with skrillex playing all of the dubstep clubs or over and over again for years uh, every release he'd put out up until that point was dubstep. Like there's, there's a reason why people thought the show was going to be dubstep, you know, like there was, it wasn't like they were, that was unfounded. Um, but yeah, it sucks that, that the majority of the fan base just weren't open enough to hearing different stuff. Yeah. And I feel like it was the minority that was like that. I feel like the majority of the people who went to go see the tour were pleased and were, you know, satisfied. I was. And, you know, all the people I talked to, uh, probably about 95% of them were all about that tour. And then I mm. think it was just maybe he was focusing too much on the negatives and not the positives. I, I don't know. I don't know what he was focusing on, but that's just my yeah. outside looking in maybe. 
I mean, that's easy to do, right? Like if there's 50 people on the rail in front of you dancing and then one person's just sitting there on their phone on the rail staring, it's hard to not concentrate on that person, right? But then no, actually, again, that's a very good I, point. I always, um, I always try to remember that these things are usually the minority, especially online, right? Like people who leave those hateful comments or people who are like the loudest on online, even if it's positive, like, you know, people asking you to press vinyls and shit. It's like these people who are like <laughs> loud online all the time, whether it be good or bad, are, are the mini minority for sure. Like most people just will not ever message you. Most of your fans that like your music and have heard your music will just never send you a message ever. Yeah. You won't That's hear from most of them. Yeah, that's, that's that's actually a good point, man. I'll call out that one person on the rail, bro. I've stopped the music and called called a motherfucker out before, dog. So what's the problem with that? Because, like, I've... I mean, I understand it. Like, it's it, it gives you a little bit of anxiety as a performer while you're up there because you're like... The, the thing is, is the only way that you can tell if somebody's enjoying the music from stage is if they're dancing, right? That's, like, the only way that... um, The only, like, outward expression that you could possibly sort of almost 100% guarantee that they're enjoying the music. Whereas if they're not dancing, then it's kind of like a 50-50 on whether or not they're enjoying it because they could just be enjoying it like in their head. Well, I've called, I've called a guy out who was literally like, it was, a, it was a stage where it was like, this is the DJ booth, right? This table and like, there's no barrier. It's just like that right there. And a guy's head's just <clears> on <throat> it, on the, on the booth just <laughs> like this. Just fucking... So, yeah, I'm going to call that out. You feel me? Like, dog, what are you doing? Everyone's trying to have a good time up front, and here you are sleeping. <laughs> Who was playing after you? Uh, Lucid. It was on the Double Vision Tour, yeah. So you think he was just like a Lucid fan? Or? Nah, dude, I think he might have just been fucked up or tired. Hmm. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Honestly. Yeah, because, I mean, I've heard about people doing that um, specifically really bad at bass nectar concerts where just all the openers basically people would just be like oh fucking like snooze fest and then as soon as bass nectar comes on it's raging um, well these other djs and people don't have to worry about that anymore yeah that will not <laughs> happen anymore <laughs> no nah, man yeah we, i mean like that's actually a good point though it is it is easy to focus on that one person um just so do you i'd like to think you don't have a lot of haters do you because i feel like you're a guy who's pretty much not on the internet a lot i feel like you're not like a very social media guy am i wrong <laughs> to say that um i would say i'm like a fairly social media guy lately i have not been but i mean like i've been running a discord server since like early 2016 mm -hmm. and i've like um you know i've been streaming on twitch since 2014 um so it's like you know and i have like social media accounts and everything and i post on them i would say like on a bi-weekly basis no on like a like twice a week or something like that um yeah i would say like i'm somewhat active on social media i'm definitely not as active as like some people whose stories on instagram every day will be like 150 fucking things and yeah. like the little line on the top of their story just looks like a pixel yeah um yeah i'm not i'm not at that level for sure but you know if i think of something I'll post it. Like, for instance, I tweeted earlier today saying, like, uh, talking about how I got a flu shot. I was like, wow, that shit was, like, super painless. Man, I was stressing hard about getting this flu shot because, <laughs> um, I don't know, like, you'd think I wouldn't be, like, scared of needles because... Because you, you know, got a have... nose ring? Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is I'm not scared of piercings or tattoos, but shots at the doctor get me. And, um, 
I think it's because one time I had some and then I like had a seizure in the waiting room after I had the shot. So I kind of am like paranoid about that. So, so there's that, but then also just like, I don't know, I think because when I was a kid, I had some shots and they probably hurt a lot or something. And yeah. then, you know, my memory of those are still very present and you know, it's like early on trauma sticks around or something. So, um, <clears throat> so I was stressing about that, but I, uh, went to get the flu shot and it was fucking awesome because it was a drive through because of like COVID or whatever. So you just drive through, sit in your car and they just like put their arm in and just give you the shot. That's and, um, sweet. yeah, she kind of just like, uh, grabbed my skin and then it just felt like somebody like Continue. touched me. I didn't even, I didn't even feel like a pinch or a spike feeling or like any burn or nothing. Like the sensation was literally just somebody touching my skin. And then she put the bandaid on. I was like, what the fuck did you, <laughs> it's like, did that just happen? And she was like, yep. And I was like, cool. So yeah, I tweeted about that today. Do you think there's people out there who have like a fetish of getting shots, dude? Like that's their thing. That's what gets them I think off. there's somebody out there who has a fetish about anything you can think of. <laughs> like not one, not, not one person that has a fetish of everything you can think of, but like one person for every fetish you can think of. Yes, I do think there's somebody who probably has a fetish for getting shots. That'd be a fucking weird fetish, Dude, man. I feel like there's probably somebody who can't come unless they wake up during surgery. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I guarantee you that person exists. <laughs> Jesus, man, that's awesome. That'd be Actually, that's not awesome. God damn. You're, like, breaking your own arms, like, on purpose, dude. Like, you're, like, so I you need sur surgery. Any type of surgery, dude. Like, you know, like, arm hair removal. And then, you know... <laughs> The doctor's just ignoring your, your giant <clears throat> tent. It's like that episode of Black Mirror. Have you seen that one where the guy gets the earpiece thing? And when he puts it in, he can, like, feel oh, the um, yeah. the feelings the of, like, other people or whatever. So, like, you know, he, he finds out that, like, having sex with his wife or whatever, not only is he having his own orgasm, but he's also having hers at the same time. Mm. And then he just gets, like, way too fetishized about these like dopamine hits he's getting from it or whatever and just starts doing weird shit like pulling his own teeth out and stuff to like yeah get these like incredible episode. feedback loops of pain or something it's been a minute did you see that episode where it's like they're like a uh, mortal combat or like street fighter and then him and his best friend are playing and then they end up fucking in the game no i don't remember that one that's a good time dude if i could fuck in a game in real life I'd probably do it but then you, you wouldn't be in real life, right? Because you'd be in the game. Well, like, they were still getting off. For, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you still have the <clears throat> the sensual things, or was that the right Oh, word dude. I think that'll be maybe possible soon with the Neuralink things. Yeah. Did you see that shit? The yeah. Elon Musk's Neuralink? The man's dude. a madman. Yeah, he's driven. Um, yeah, I think that, that would eventually be possible. Because, like, I mean, really, what probably causes you to have an orgasm is probably is brain related like anything right mm -hmm. so maybe when you get one of those there'll just be like a orgasm button and you can just like log yourself into vr or something and just like ping the button right at I'm the all correct about it, moment. dude. there's gonna be a lot less babies though for real i think there'll be a lot less babies if people have neuralinks oh yeah why what would make well, you think that because you know you can just come on your own all right right so but you can do that now <laughs> And people are still having babies. All right, you yeah, got me on this one, Mr. Bill. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> you 
got me on that one, bro. Yeah, I guess you're right, man. But look, dude, maybe in 10 years we'll be doing a podcast episode and not even talking to each other. We'll just be Lincoln, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, just like, yeah, Lincoln. Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That'd be, yeah, that'd be cr- possible. Are you going to get it whenever they come to, uh, whenever they're available to the public? So I probably wouldn't get version one. Um, I'd probably wait until there are a few versions in because I feel like for starters, there's probably going to be like security flaws with them to begin yeah. with, like any software that gets released originally, somebody finds a way to hack it or something. So I feel like a bunch of people are going to get their brains hacked probably. And they're just walking um, around, kill John Lennon, kill yeah, John exactly. Lennon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just, yeah, I'd oh, probably, I'd probably end up getting a get a Neuralink at some point, bro. I want to download Spanish. I've always wanted to know how to speak Spanish. What would be the first thing you downloaded in that brain? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, if you could just download a second language or if you could just download every language, that'd be awesome. Like if the Neuralink just allowed you to speak like Russian all of a sudden. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like Matrix, um, you know, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm thinking is like the Matrix, you just download mm-hmm. that, uh, that language. What would be the first thing you download? to your brain oh man it's hard to say i'd probably listen to music first because it'd be really in, like you would hear music so clearly if you could just pump it straight into your brain right because i mean really the bottleneck is your biology of your ears and stuff like that Damn. um so that could would be you hear cool. it though like that's yeah music does not occur in the ear it occurs in the brain huh that's crazy yeah the ear is just like a mechanism to it's basically like a microphone right um, Send frequencies like a, through. Yeah, you put sound pressure into it. It vibrates some small bones, which then connect to some nerves, which create electromagnetic signals or well, some kind of electrical signals, and then sends it to your brain. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess it might. You <clears> might feel the low end or hear the low end a lot better. I don't know. That's crazy to think about, dude. That's really crazy. Would, Maybe you download Ableton into your brain, and you can just like you know link Ableton with your computer, and you just think a song. Yeah, if you could just have like DAWs in your brain, that'd be pretty cool. I also think um, if it could like help you with sleep and you could just like have, you know, a perfect eight hour sleep every night, I think that would change shit a lot. And I also think um, if you could just like force yourself to pass out on planes, that would also be pretty cool. That's what I struggle with the most, I feel like, is, is like sleeping and a good sleeping schedule, bro. I'll get in bed and I just cannot sleep unless I eat, like, melatonin and jerk off. That's, like, the only that's the only recipe that works. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I've, I've been historically pretty bad at sleeping, but lately I've been decent. I've been uh, using magnesium, and apparently that helps with sleep. And I've been, like, trying not to drink coffee after midday, and I've been exercising more and uh trying to like eat meals at sort of regular times and trying to stop using my computer at like 10 or 11 p.m um stuff like that and trying to like not have my phone next to the bed sometimes and yeah i've tried a bunch of shit and i feel like i've kind of like half figured out my my sleep now now i kind of go to sleep it seems like at around like midnight to 2 a.m. and then I generally wake up around like 9, 10 a.m., which is probably like the cleanest my sleeping has ever been. Because usually, I mean, it's crazy. I'll, at some points, I've had this schedule of like going to sleep at 6 a.m. and waking up at 6 p.m. kind of thing, Damn. which is horrible. Um, would you be a more more morning person? Like, would you wake up even earlier if you could go to bed earlier? 
Where do you like yeah, the schedule I you're think, at? Uh, I think, yeah, I would, I think my ideal schedule, uh, if I could just like make it happen with a Neuralink, for instance, would probably be just like pass out directly at midnight on the dot and wake up directly at 8 a.m. on the dot. Yeah. I think that would be like a perfect eight hour window to sleep in. I've, I've, I've actually like the best sleeping schedule I've had in a while just because I've been on a healthy schedule and just, I was up at 6.30 this morning just up mm. fucking dancing. I like to nice. dance. Well, also house. like not touring helps with that a lot too, right? Because Oh yeah. I mean, if you're touring, uh, your sleep schedule just goes out the window because you, you know, get to a city, you pretty much have to go like to the venue, sound check. You might go to the hotel and get like a one hour nap in then, and then you go to, to the venue and play the show, and then you go back to the hotel and sleep for like, you know, two hours, and then you got to get on a plane, and then you get like some shitty sleep on the plane, and then you do the same thing again in the next city where you get like a one hour nap at the hotel again, and so on and so forth. And, and then when you get back on like Sunday night or Monday or something, you just need to fucking sleep for like two days to reset. Yep. Yeah, that's it's very true, man. Do you miss do you miss that tour life, or are you happy having this? Uh, you know, have you found a way to stay afloat without being on tour right now? Um, yeah, definitely, I'm fine financially, but um, I, I miss traveling. Like, I miss going to new places and you know hanging out with people and seeing friends that live in all those places and you know just meeting um, new people and stuff like that. I miss all that stuff. And obviously playing shows too. That's something I miss a bit. I'm playing a show soon, actually. Um, at this place called the Midway, um, which is in San Francisco. Uh, I'm playing that show on October. I shouldn't mess this date up because if anyone's listening and wants to come, uh, <laughs> man, I don't even have it in my Is it like a drive-in or like a, uh, just an actual show? It's an actual show, but it's outside um, Hell yeah. in the, like, uh, okay, so it is October 15, so it's pretty close. It's, like, next week, I think. Hell yeah. I got, yeah, uh, how do you feel about, like, these uh, these venue shows right now, man? Because I got in a fight today with the, with the guy on Twitter because I think it was, like, company was asking how people felt about these limited capacity shows. And I had tweeted that, and I was like, honestly, if you're going to a show, it's because you're old enough to make adult decisions. And so you should, mm. you know... If 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 you if you're going, it's because you're old <laughs> enough to you're an adult and you can make your own decisions. And if you don't yeah, go, but if you don't want to go, real, stay like, ass at home. Sure, but I mean, like, let's be real. Not all adults make good decisions. That's true. Like, just just because you're an adult <laughs> doesn't mean your decisions are good. That's true, but it's um, but it's an adult decision. Even if it's a bad decision, it was an adult making an adult decision. Yeah, that's true. But I guess my problem with shows is uh, just that, like. If you, you know, let's say like 50 people go to a show, one of them has COVID, gives it to the other 49 people. Well, then there's 50 people that have COVID who can then give it to another couple of people, right? And it just like snowballs. Um, whereas if that show hadn't happened, it might, like, it seems like it's only a problem for the 50 people that went to the show, but it really could perpetuate into like thousands of cases. Um, and that's kind of the problem I have with it is that it's just, it seems unnecessarily risky for just like a dubstep show. Um, but it depends, right? Like, cause I mean, the one that I'm doing, I think is fairly low risk for everyone involved cause it's outside. Uh, masks are obviously mandatory. I think temperatures are checked at the door. Um, someone's going around sanitizing stuff constantly, uh, social distancing, like no tables are close to each other. Um, stuff like that so i mean i think it, it can be done safely like i think the drive in ones are pretty safe 
Um, and I think uh, some of the limited capacity indoor ones could potentially be safe, but I'd, I'm actually not sure if the cases have been going up from the um, from from shows. So yeah, I haven't actually looked at that. So I might, it might actually not be a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think majority of the shows right now have some type of safety precaution, you know, in place to where it's like, you know, only 25 to 50% capacity, there's distancing, uh, temperatures are checked, you know, I'm cool with all of that shit, you know what I mean? Like, all that, all that stuff you just said, like, if there's anything like that, let's, let's, let's have a show, bro. Let's get, let's get, let's make these venues some money. Let's make sure that these venues don't shut down. I saw yesterday U Street Music Hall and uh, DC shut down its doors for good. Wow. And like Lizard Whoa, Lounge also did you a lot of places. A lot of places have shut their doors for good, and it it sucks, man. So yeah, I'm that's... all about shows happening right now, just for like so businesses mm. can stay afloat, man. I agree. I'm like on the fence, right? Because on one hand, I'm like, let's try and stop this uh, whole dude. I have to block this guy on Discord because he's just fucking messaging me constantly, and um, I'm trying to have a conversation. Block, sweet. Um. So, yeah, like on one hand, I feel like um, I want to help businesses, right? So, yes, I think shows like to some degree should be happening because it sucks that like U Street Music Hall in um, DC had to close down for good, right? Because that was an old school venue. It's been around forever and it's like a, an amazing venue. It's horrible that they couldn't afford to keep running. Um, <clears throat> and it, yeah, post COVID, it's going to be a pretty different world if that keeps happening and all the venues shut so uh yeah so there's, so there's that side of things where yes i agree like economically and logistically we need to look after venues but also it's like seems a little short-sighted because if we do that then the venues are just going to be shut for longer anyway um or at least running at limited capacity for longer because the virus will still be running rampant yeah that's a point that's a point but, um, yeah, man, so this is a podcast, actually. I'm trying to sw shift gears a little bit away from the COVID shit because I'm sure everyone's heard this shit a million times, bro. <laughs> but, um, but this is a podcast episode that people have been suggesting having you on the show, man, you know, because we're both podcasters ourselves, man. I've been seeing that you've been having, like, a lot of people on who actually, you know, other people that don't do music. Like, I saw you had someone from, uh... Uh, not music, bass music. Like you had like a somebody from what orchestra, and then you had somebody from DreamWorks. If I'm right, like. Oh yeah, uh, I had Jordan uh, Rudis from Dream Theater. Yeah. On, which was cool. Um, and I had Misha Mansour from Periphery, the metal band. On. Oh, I love Periphery. Yeah, they're fucking awesome. Yeah, Misha's awesome. He's a great dude. Um, so yeah, I've had I've had a few different people on who are who are not just in the bass music scene. Do you find it harder to get? people who aren't in the bass music scene onto the podcast kind of yeah like for instance there was this professional gamer the other day who i don't think he re he didn't like reach out to me but somebody asked him on my behalf if or well, not on my behalf i didn't actually even give a shit but like somebody asked him if he would go on my podcast and he said yes but only for a thousand dollars i was like i'm not gonna fucking pay anyone a thousand dollars to have a conversation with me um so there's that kind of stuff happens i guess but also um yeah, I do think it is a little harder to get people on who are not in, in the bass music scene just because they don't know me and stuff, right? But also, having said that, there's been a bunch of people in the bass music scene who have turned my podcast down because they're just, like, too protective of, like, 
the way that they present themselves publicly. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's important. Like you have to make sure your brand looks good and coherent and <clears throat> that, that your optics are good and you're not looking like an asshole and shit like that. That is important. But I mean, if you can't have a conversation publicly with someone without looking like an asshole, then maybe you're an asshole. Yeah, I, dude, I've had the same experience. Um, I did actually, I did an episode with uh, Sullivan King and then we did the episode. And then after the episode we recorded it, he asked me if he didn't, he, his team reached out and said they didn't want to put it out because that's not the direction they're going in. And I was like, fuck, man, do you not like what? talking? Or I might have, I might have, I might have been too much, <laughs> really? honestly. It might have been because of me. It could have been on me. Just because Sorry, I, was, uh, I was talking is not in the direction we're going in right now. <laughs> we're, we're going. We're all becoming mutes. Yeah. So <laughs> right. So I was confused by that, and and honestly, it could have been some things that I said because I made I made a couple jokes, and he didn't know who I was just yet. Whenever we did it, this was like in February. We actually sat down face and face and did it, and like he didn't know me very well. So I was like making jokes, and I don't know if those were, you know, he just didn't know that I was joking sometimes. But, uh, mm. you know, it could have been on me, but also it could have just been like, yo, this ain't something we want to do. And I've had a lot of people, you know, just turn me down too, <clears throat> just, uh, because yeah, like exactly what we said, because they're, they're just like, that's not their thing. Like they're not, they're very, you know, they're not a very, um, talkative person to begin with. And their project isn't them speaking about a, or opinions or, or anything like that. Yeah. Electronic musicians in like the EDM dubstep bass music scene are just so fucking particular about so much shit they they i think take it way too seriously a lot of the time because i mean at the end of the day you're making beats in your bedroom probably in your underpants half the time you know like it's not <laughs> it's not that important it's not dude and we're all just fucking people man and like you know i like talking about people's journeys like that's one of my things i really enjoy talking to about so actually what i want to bring up to you man so you're you, did you move to america to do music was that like your thing yeah so i was in australia before that and then um, it kind of just got to the point where I was flying here like a few times a year to do shows. Uh, so, and the problem with flying here to do shows is, you know, touring often is not just like a string of like 30 shows in a row and then you're done and you go home, right? For some people it is, but for me it wasn't. Um, it was more just like I would come here and do like two shows on a weekend and then two shows the next weekend and then maybe I'd have a weekend with no shows. So I'd have like almost 14 days off. Um, from, you know, the following weekend to the one after that. Uh, and when I would have something like 14 days off, I would either just have to blow a bunch of cash on hotels or stay on like someone's couch or whatever. And it was generally like, you know, I felt like I was impeding or impinging on their space. And, um, you know, I just felt like I was causing people like, I don't know, like I, I didn't feel good about having to do either of those things, like blow a bunch of cash on hotels or stay with people. So I f- figured I would just like move here and then that would solve that problem. And then also once I moved here, I was like, well, then I could kind of just be like doing shows constantly. I wouldn't even have to like organize just a few months a year to do them, you know? So um, then I kind of like thought logistically it made or financially it made sense as well. Cause I was like, I always make like a bit of money on tour. So I was like, if I'm just doing that all year then I'll make more money probably. So it just made more sense for me to live here, I think than Australia. And yeah, I think it was, I think it was a good decision. Was it a hard thing to like, um, you know, move away from, you know, just about everybody you knew and your family and stuff like that? And also, is it hard getting into America to work? Like, is that, a, is it, they make that shit hard to do? Yes, they do. They make it way harder now than it was when I started doing it. Um, I think just because the Trump administration is like, I don't know, not into immigrants. 
but uh it's so basically what you need to do is go through a visa process and for an artist like me you have to get a very specific visa it's called an o1 visa um which <laughs> the title of it is alien of extraordinary ability sick <laughs> pretty pretty cool title but it's a really cool title <laughs> yeah it's pretty pretentious sounds like an um, album name <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> just yeah. name my next album alien of extraordinary ability hell yeah um yeah so you have to get one of those. The process is pretty hard. A lot of people get turned down. You have to go for interviews and you have to pay like a bunch of money. And um, yeah, it's a pain in the ass to get one. But uh, once you get one, then yeah, you can just come in and out as much as you want and play shows and Hell work yeah. here. So yeah, that's cool. I'm actually going for a green card at the moment because my visa is about to run out. So hopefully I get that. And then that one is, it's harder to get. It's more expensive to get. The process is way more intense. And the thing is though, it is a, doesn't last three years it lasts 10 so if i can get that one i'll be good for the next 10 years which would be awesome so fingers it, crossed is it possible to get citizenship just like full on yeah so generally when people get the green card one the one that i'm going for now that's sort of like the path to citizenship they'll stay here for you know however long five ten years or something like that and then sort of apply for citizenship after they've been a permanent resident for a while and then um, I think you just have to do like a test and prove that you've been living here for a while. And, and yeah, there's a few requirements. Hell yeah. Was it hard moving away from your family? I feel like that would be the hardest part for me is moving away from my family. Yeah. So I don't actually get along with my family that well. So that wasn't really that hard for me. Um, like, you know, I like my family and, you know, I, but the thing is, is like seeing them for one day a year is like good. Uh, I'm fine with that. Like that's plenty enough of my family for me to see. Uh, but my friends, I miss my friends a lot. Like I had a lot of good friends, um, yeah. in Melbourne where I was living when I moved and I have a lot of good friends in Sydney, uh, not being able to see them a lot is, um, I mean, it's been, honestly, it's been fine. Cause I go back to Australia like once a year anyway and see them all. So it's fine. And I got a lot of friends here now too. So that's cool. Uh, but I mean, you know, during the COVID shit anyway, it's like no one can see anyone regardless. So hasn't been a problem either way or it's like it hasn't been a solvable problem at least for the last like eight months anyway yeah whenever uh whenever you like you know because you got that australian accent dude did that help you get your old lady bro did the chicks dig it you know do they still dig it so i don't think my australian accent is that thick anymore because i've been living here for about five years um it's funny if i watch my old youtube videos uh like the first tutorials i put out on youtube i sound like a fucking bogan i'm just like <laughs> oh good day, mate it's mr bill here with another ableton tutorial <laughs> gonna show you how to throw your fucking compressor up here and put an eq on that and fucking bob's your uncle mate <laughs> it's just like the most bogan shit and i was like how did anyone take me seriously as an educator with dude, I love accent. a good Australian accent, dude. I feel like he's just gonna fucking fight or fuck or drink at any time, dude. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, on edge. <laughs> yeah, let me turn this camera on. Hold on, watch this. Talk, entertain the people. Entertain. The yeah. People. Oh, we can just edit this out, right? Is it not an edited okay. podcast? That was simple enough, dude. Yeah, man. Well, I, I, um, Al Ross does a hell of good Australian accent. It's like, uh, it's, it sounds like he's just smoked so many cigarettes, and so it just works out so well. Mm. yeah Ross is hilarious uh, I heard him I mean I've never met him but I uh, 
heard him do a you know how subtronics puts out those now that's what i call rhythm things yeah and then he has like a bunch of people say like hey this is blah 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 and you're listening to subtronics's new mix or whatever yeah the al ross one was pretty funny he's like hey this is al ross and uh you're fucked you're literally fucked yeah (laughs) i was like good call out i had him on the podcast and it was literally one where we're crying like half the time like laughing and also getting really (laughs) deep on the on some topics man nice Dude, there's been some times where I see some of, some of your guests, right? There's times where your podcast pisses me off, son, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this right. guest. And then I see it on the Mr. Bill podcast. I was like, son of a bitch. I got to wait a little bit now. Wait, which guest? I know whenever he did Subtronics, I was like, yeah, yeah I'm going to get it. Oh, damn, he got him. And then Squinto. <laughs> Squ- no, what, was it Subtronics? Oh, no, Squinto. Did, have you had Subtronics on? Yeah, yeah, you I have, actually, yeah. Been, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. It, was, it was a I was like, because he was hardcore on some conspiracy shit on some Twitter's. <laughs> And yeah. I was like, man, I'm going to get him on the podcast. And then I saw you had him. I was like, he beat me to it, bro. Well, I think like um, there's probably some crossover for our audiences, but I, I'm Absolutely. pretty sure that there'd be people who listen to your podcast who don't listen to mine and vice versa. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, like I, you see this in the comedy scene a lot, right? Like when a new comedian has like a new special out or whatever, they'll just do like the podcast circuit. They'll do like your mom's house, Joe Rogan. Uh, the Theo Von one, Burt Kreischer's one, like they'll just sort of do them all, right? They'll do the yeah. H3 podcast and so on. Um, so I feel like, you know, it could just be like that. If a bunch of electronic musicians end up having podcasts, it's like when I put a new album out, I'll just go on all of them. Yeah. And then it's a great circuit to do for promotion and stuff like that. And it's grassrootsy, which is awesome. I mean, it's, you know, Facebook is like kind of, you know, fucked us in the sense that A, we're the product of it, and B, if you ever want to show anyone your shit, you have to pay them a shitload of money. So, um, yeah, that's kind of annoying. But yeah, so I, I hope that uh, you know podcasts in the electronic music scene take off in the same way that they have in the comedy scene because it would be a great resource to have for everybody. I think to um, you know to promote their new shit and just you know it's fun to have conversations and stuff like that. No, I totally agree, man. There ain't a lot. It's just like me, you, um, who mm-hmm. uh, uh, Willie Joy, um, and I, Willie that's Joy, it, is right? That barely huh? alive? Is that barely alive? Willie Joy is that is that Barely yeah. Alive? Is it? I don't yeah. think so. But Willie Joy, he uh, he's he's his own he's his own man's. Willie Joy. Okay, you know that's not. I think it's a completely different guy. My bad. Yeah, he's so, got a pot. But I think that's just. I think that's it. I could be if any, if there's other DJ who had podcasts, I could be missing it. Oh, okay. So Barely Alive is a duo made up of Matt and Willie. Willie Joy. Oh wow, I did not know that. It's not Willie Joy. I don't think. Okay, but I. Maybe it is Willie. Joy. Maybe I mean, what are the what are the odds that one guy's named Willie? You know what I'm saying? How many Willies have yeah. you met in your life? Uh, not that many. I mean, I've met some Williams. I've met like two Williams. Um, William not a lot son. of Willies though. <laughs> yeah, Will- I'm not sure. William son, dude. I just mixed Castaway and Goddamn Karate Kid. That's what I just mixed. <laughs> Speaking of, yeah, dude, man. you gotta watch Cobra Kai. Do you watch Netflix at all? Do you ever see the original, the original Karate Kid? I think I did. Is that like the wax on, wax off guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like a yeah. there's a new show on Netflix called Cobra Kai, and I it's saw basically the preview for it. Dude, it's one of the most badass shows I've ever seen in my life. Like I literally mm-hmm. watched it Friday. I binge watched that bitch all in one day. It was so good I couldn't turn it off. <laughs> I wanted to go for like and hang out with friends. It was so good I couldn't turn it off, bro. You gotta go check it out. <laughs> It's some good yeah, shit. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah I'll it out. Have you watched the show Dark? Dark, no. It's pretty good. It's about like time travel and stuff. 
So I've gotten told Jeremy, about it. I think it might, might, might have been you telling me about it or somebody else. Not not not. I don't think I don't reckon it was you. Yeah, I don't think it was me. It, it's a German show that's been overdubbed with English voices, so it's like you know you can watch it if you don't speak German. And it, yeah, it's pretty good. It's a pretty deep show. I've been watching that a lot lately. I'll and have to check it last out. Last night I'm, I'm, I watched uh, some documentaries. I watched AlphaGo last night, and I watched. Uh, I watched a documentary about people who do speed cubing. You know about that? No, it sounds it's like a drug. No, yeah, it sounds like a drug. No, um, it's, no, it's like people who just solve Rubik's Cubes like super fast. Can you do one? Can you do a Rubik's Cube? No, I can't solve a Rubik's Cube at all, let alone fast. But these people solve them in like six seconds. Like there's competitions like who can solve it the fastest. And it's crazy. How, how does one do it so fast like that? That makes no sense. I don't know how it would be done. Do they say anything? Like, do they give you any tips, like, in the show, how to do it? No, but, I mean, it's, I'm assuming just, like, fucking thousands of hours of practice, right? Just like yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, just like anything, you're right. Nah, man, um, you've been doing any crazy stuff on, uh, building any type of live set? Because I know, you know, you're a guy who's done a lot, like, a lot of really dope and original sets, you know, with <clears throat> you and KJ, uh, you know, you and, uh, didn't you and, uh... Who who am I who am I trying to think? Didn't you Neil Gates do one or am I am I mixing this around? Yeah yeah we did um yeah no I haven't really been working on live set stuff in in a while since like 2016 2017 is when I was doing a lot of them but then ever since then I kind of just like packed the live set down and just started DJing and what I've realized is one my fees didn't change uh and it was way more expensive to do the live show which means I just profit way more off doing shows now. And, and two, <clears throat> my crowds didn't get any bigger or smaller. In fact, they just got bigger because I started making dubstep. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Like, and, and three, it's like nobody has really come up to me after a show and been like, cool show, sucks that it wasn't live. You know, like, no one gives a shit. Yeah. So, I kind of figured, like, if I'm doing all of this for me, it's, like, pretty expensive just to do it for me. And... I just can't justify like basically wasting or not wasting. I mean, but spending, you know, like upwards of 20 grand a year on doing shows or something like that, you know, just because I want to do something more, more elaborate than everyone else or something like that. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to write beats and DJ. And it's been way more fun, honestly, than doing live shows, doing those live shows that I was doing with like drummers and stuff like that. It's stressful. Very stressful. Traveling with a lot of gear and then, set up and sound check is like a pain in the ass and then uh <clears throat> you can't fly anywhere so you have to drive everywhere so there's long ass drives every day uh and if you have a bus driver that's fine but we didn't so we we're driving all ourselves. uh and then during the show there's just so much that can go wrong like uh there's just you know with a dj set it's kind of like the only things that could go wrong is you accidentally fuck up or somebody unplugs a CDJ or something like that. Like there's a couple of things that can go wrong, right? With a live show with you know, tons of MIDI controllers and computers that are linked via ethernet and lots of Macs for live shit going on and all that kind of stuff. There's just so much that can go wrong. And if something goes wrong in the middle of the show, like debugging your set is so hard. How often did that happen? Luckily it didn't ever happen, but that's just cause I stress tested sets like a ton before touring them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been times where I've, where I've been playing sets and my computer is just like 
not blue screen, but like shut down or something from like a low battery or some shit like that. Yeah, overload on the CPU. Anything like that ever happen? Just like too much I, CPU yeah, going on? I've had like clicks and pops insets before from stuff like that. Yeah, it's gotta be stressful, man. I used to do live drumming. Uh, oh, and, cool. You know, whenever I first started touring, I did. Uh, I had my MIDI pads because I grew up being a drummer. And I did that for a while, but then I found out the same thing. It was more expensive to have to buy an extra bag so I could bring all that shit. And then, and then also, the way I did it is I couldn't, like, the way I wrote the set is, like, it had to be played a certain way. And there was no, like, mixing out of songs early. Like, they had to be played in full. So, like, I felt, I felt like whenever I switched back to not doing the live drumming, I actually ended up having more energy with the crowd. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. And yeah. it just wouldn't work all that effort. <clears throat> you said you had more energy when you were doing the drumming? No, without, like, as far yeah. as with the crowd, because I'm able to mix out of songs faster. I'm able to, like, be more and, like, pay attention to the crowd and where I need to go. With the drumming, I'm, like, focused on drumming. Because what I did is I would completely take the drum samples out of the song completely. So it's like, if I don't hit a drum, there's literally no drums playing. So it's just like, you know, and so I'm really focused on that instead of, like, focusing on the crowd and making sure that they're having a good time and stuff like that. Right, but then you start like asking yourself in the studio when you're like moving shit around by like a couple of milliseconds to like get all of your timing on like where stuff hits, you know, correct in terms of like the groove of it and like where side chain is hitting and stuff like that. You start to ask like, why am I even doing this if I'm just going to fuck it all up live anyway? You know, like I'm just going to pull it all out and I'm never going to play it exactly this quantized live. Yep. So that's true. Yeah. That. And then also, um, I just feel like at some to some degree a live show isn't at least the way i was doing it that live uh because it would be the same sort of set list every night and then as the set was playing there would just be segments of tunes that would like mute and then i would play the part of the tune that of the of the layer that got muted right so um you know it'd be like a keyboard part or like a midi drum pad part or some some part that i would that i would play and it kind of um made me feel like this is not that live it's just me fucking sort of playing what should doing, be there yeah just sort of like yeah exactly that i could just unmute the thing it would sound the exact same and it, i feel like i have a lot more freedom djing because i'm able to play the set list in any way and that feels like somehow more freeing than doing the arrangement view sets that i was doing yeah, I, I, dude, I felt like I was very surprised when, uh, about like with your set whenever <clears throat> I saw you. Uh, whenever we played together in, uh, where was it, Montreal that we played together? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I was very surprised because you were playing like a pretty heavy set and like everything I had, like all the songs that I had like really known you by and like, you know, recognized you by were like these pretty like elaborate IDM or like these really pretty like melodic stuff. So like whenever I saw you were playing like heavy stuff, I was like very, very surprised. Is that, yeah, were you, so... go for it. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I basically um, got to a point where I was like, if I want to be like aggressively playing shows and, um, you know, playing bigger slots on like bigger stages and shit like that, then I have to be playing heavier tunes pretty much. Like it, that just seems to be, you know, there's obviously exceptions to that rule, like John Hopkins or, you know, Tipper maybe, even though some of Tipper's shit's pretty hard. Uh, but generally the people who are like playing <clears throat> all those bigger shows and stuff are playing like heavy dubstep and shit like that. Right. So I was like, all right, I mean, I can do that. Like, it's not a matter of like whether or not I can do it or not. Um, but it was just a matter of kind of figuring out like, do I want to be known that way 
and also will I like in general enjoy my life as much if I'm spending my days making dubstep rather than IDM? And what I figured is like it doesn't a a it doesn't need to be mutually mutually exclusive. Like I can make dubstep and IDM, right? Like I and that's kind of what I have been doing, like releasing heavy EPs and like and then my plan is to do IDM albums and and Tipper does that, right? Like he releases those four track EPs that are pretty heavy, and then he does every every few years a full length album that's like more pretty down tempo stuff. Um, so a it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive, and b I think like if I'm smart about it making dubstep isn't even a pain in the ass it's super fun like yeah. if i make it on my terms it can still sound palatable to a dance floor and it can still be something that that um i find to be technically interesting yeah you mentioned temper and actually we had a fan question and i want to pull up this guy's name i took a picture because uh i want to give him some credit uh reza reza manos that <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I fucking butcher that name. I already know it, but that person Reza who Mono Astat, uh, Minno Astat, Reza Minno Astat. All right. Okay. Instead, ask him about working with Tipper, please. Yeah, how was that, man? Working with Tipper because the man's kind of a fucking legend in his own lane. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not a guy that's on the <laughs> social medias. He's not a guy that has insane branding. He's just this own little entity that just has like this insane following. What was that like working with him? Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. So he came to my studio one day um, because he wanted to switch from Logic to Ableton because he's like a Logic user um, and he has been for a long time. But I guess he wants to move to Ableton or he wanted to move to Ableton just because I think he saw that it had surpassed Logic in a lot of ways. Um, and also everyone was using it, right? So if he ever wanted to like collaborate with anyone, it was just more possible if he was using Ableton. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. He just wanted to switch. So maybe he just wanted a change of pace in his DAW. He might have just been looking at it logic for too many years straight and just whatever so he came to my studio because he moved to denver and i was living in denver at the time um so he came to my studio just to like you know learn like for me to show him some stuff pretty much uh and then we ended up just sitting in the studio for like 12 hours working on this tune um and we got like a pretty good start on a tune uh not sure if we'll actually ever finish it i've like hit him up a bunch of times about it and he seems like kind of on the fence about wanting to work on it um so yeah i'm not really sure what's going to happen with it but working with him was sick it was like really interesting uh or like reassuring to know that even someone like him is just like doing whatever sort of thing like that he's not like this i mean he's a fucking a legend and he's an amazing producer but he's like you and i in the sense that he's just fucking around too you know like he just opens his daw and just clicks shit until it works you know he's mm -hmm. not like some super systematic knows everything in the book sort of producer that people may think he is it's, he's just like any producer just clicks shit and does random crap and something comes out the other end eventually you like make a decision to keep something that sounds good and he just makes a lot of the right decisions to keep the right things and and gets that's the results that is good to know man because i feel like a lot of my songs half the time are accidents like you know like you never you ever finish a song and it's like really fucking good you're like damn i will never make anything this good just because i completely had no idea how i just made this <clears throat> um i'm pretty i think i've seen like so much synthesis at this point and so much ableton that i don't really have that anymore i feel like i could listen to most of my songs and remake them mm. um 
but yeah i kind of know what you mean uh, but then again having said that a lot of my songs are accidental as well or a lot of at least a lot of sounds in my songs are almost all of the sounds in my songs apart from like drums and subs are accidental mm -hmm. i had another fan question <laughs> um this is from a guy cliff garrett um he wants to know about the experience of you making music for movies how, how that was for you dude that was crazy so yeah i just woke up one day and um this guy <clears throat> was in my in my dms just like oh he was in my e email inbox actually just saying like hey i've made the movie crank and crank 2 with jason statham um and i'm making a movie with nicholas cage right now do you want to score it and i was like uh yeah definitely um so that was how that happened it was just a random email i got um and, and as for the process it was pretty demanding a because i was on tour at the time and b because it just i don't know working to picture it's like they're sort of they can cut uh so they can cut a scene and then they'll send it to me but they'll be like we can't really like cut it anymore until you put some music down to it and we need that in like an hour and i'm like oh okay cool i was like you know just having lunch or whatever but i guess i'll just stop that and just like work on music right now Did you so do the whole movie yeah i scored the whole movie um <clears throat> so it was pretty demanding and like an hour i don't think ever happened but there was shit where they like needed it that day like where they'd send me stuff and be like we need stuff like by the end of the day and that was like four or five hours away so um yeah there was a lot of stuff like that it was like super demanding in terms of like timelines it moves very fast whereas the pace that i'm used to working at is just however i long i feel like spending on a thing um so that was different and that was honestly pretty cool i like working to deadlines like i said earlier uh and it was just interesting like working on a film i guess like i've not often have i loaded video into ableton which by the way sucks loading video into ableton is horrible yep and I, then used to edit my, I used to edit my podcast on uh doing video used to on my pc on in ableton but yeah mm. yeah so loading video and just like scoring to it is something i haven't done a ton of and it's yes yeah, it's just an interesting thing to do to be like literally i'm not trying to make something here that the forefront of it is the song itself this is literally just another layer among dialogue and acting and cinematography and all that kind of shit, right so it's like you have to like um do something that just sort of beds the scene with a vibe and doesn't like call attention to itself too much so, so like are tricky. you just dragging samples or are you like you like composing full <laughs> tracks like under like just chill out tracks under or intense tracks yeah i was like writing music under it That's and crazy. most most of the music was like ambient have you listened to it it's on spotify no i'm gonna um, have to go check it out yeah just go uh go to spotify and type in mum and dad soundtrack um so it's like mostly ambient music and like glitch sounds and stuff like that that's fucking dope. That's one of those things that's like, you know, you, you, you get into music and you, you do a lot of time making a certain type. So you expect, like, you know, to tour, to get shows. Like, you know, those are things you expect. But I feel like music, scoring for a music is something that is just one of those things you never would expect it to happen, right? So it's something I always thought about and something I always wanted to do, but something that I never knew how to get into. And also, yeah, something that I never... Not that I never expected it, but just like it wasn't on my radar at that time. Like I wasn't thinking this year I'm going to score a Nicolas Cage movie, you know, like I was just 
thinking I'm going to do this tour and then I'm going to probably do more shows at the end of the year and maybe make an album or something like that. I was not like thinking that I was going to spend the rest of 2016 and the start of 2017 working on a movie. Yeah, how long does it, that is that process of scoring <clears throat> for movies? That take a long time. It was about six to eight months, I think, or maybe even a year. It was yeah, over over quite a while. It's really cool how there's like there's those opportunities that just come from music that you wouldn't expect. Like I made a song for the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in 2018, the their football team, the NFL team. So mm. th they wanted a song for their preseason, right? And um, they were very specific about what they wanted. It was only 60 seconds worth of a song. They reached out to a bunch of producers. But the song that I made for them, they liked it so much that they used it for their regular season. So every nice. time that the Chiefs would walk into this or walk onto the field, they would play that song for that entire season. There'd be like fireworks. They had a whole video. And it was one of those wow. things where I was like, fuck, man. Like I never thought something like that would happen. But I'm like, it's just one of those opportunities that you get from music that you just wouldn't fucking expect. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, music can take you to some weird events and places and stuff that you, yeah, you wouldn't expect. Like, for instance, when I was younger, if you'd asked me, like, do you think you'll ever go to India? Or, like, do you think you'll ever go to Mexico? Or do you think you'll ever go to, like, uh, Hong Kong or something like that? I'd probably be like, no, why would I go to those places? You know, like, I had no interest in traveling at all. Um, I mean, I had, like, maybe... A, yeah, when I was younger, I really had no interest in traveling. Like, I never even thought I'd, like, travel to America that often. I would, definitely didn't think I would ever, like, move to another country. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, through music, like, all of that has happened. Even just, like, you know, through music, you've built a, you've built a fan base for a podcast, too. You know I mean? Like, even stuff like right. that is just kind of crazy as fuck. Think about. Yeah, exactly. Well, dude, I mean, we've been going at it for a minute, dude. Um, you know, I really appreciate you coming on my show. I've wanted to have you back on. I know we said, you know, we, we would do each other's show so i'm glad uh we could do it this week bro really really uh appreciate you coming on the show yeah same man thanks for having me and um yeah it's always a pleasure to talk to you it's uh, always a fun time hopefully um i'll be in new orleans at some point and we can hang out yeah dude yeah it'd be nice dude you know you're always you're a guy that i've learned so much from and you like and it's crazy like you know whenever i talk to people like who have like these tutorial videos it's like you don't realize how much I've learned from you just from you putting out videos, man. So I appreciate you doing stuff like that, man. It's helped me out a lot. Yeah, of course. Back well, then, man. I will, uh, I'll talk to you later, buddy. Uh, Mr. Bill, everybody. All right. Cheers. Now's Mr. Bill, everybody. What a fucking legend. He's such a beast producer. Like he's just one of those guys that's just so roundly respect roundly. Is that a right word to use right there? He's just a like guy who's just respected so much in the producer world and in the DJ scene. Just got it going over the uh, the grain. Is that the right saying either? I don't know. I'm fucking up my sayings, dude. So I'm just gonna go. Uh, hope y'all enjoyed this week's episode of the Talks with Taboo. I'll talk to y'all next week. Uh, I think next week my stepbrother's gonna be in town, so I think I'm gonna have his crazy redneck ass on the podcast, and we're just gonna get drunk and have a good time, you know, and just talk about some stories of our childhood. Growing up with our crazy-ass redneck father. It should be fun. Anyway, I love y'all. Have a good week. Peace!